Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Josh Ziegelbaum. He is a director of investor relations at Legacy Group, a company that focuses on investment opportunities in developing markets, mainly Latin America. These opportunities include coffee farms, hospitality, and real estate development projects. Those thanks for being on, Josh. Great to have you here. Charles, it's a pleasure being on the show and thanks for having me on. So give us a little background on yourself, uh, both personally and professionally, prior to getting involved with your current company, which is Legacy Group. Let's start at the beginning. I was born <laughs> and raised in central New Jersey, uh, New Brunswick, to be more specific. And I went to college there as well. So studied economics. And out of school, I started in traditional banking and wealth management. So got my Series 7 license, was working with Wells Fargo Advisors, helping high net worth clients uh, meet their long-term goals through public markets investing and, and through the deposit and credit products that the bank had to offer. And I uh, really got my feet wet there, kind of getting to know the ins and outs of wealth management, uh, retirement planning, and kind of personal finance, I, I would say, right? Um, so I, I was a private banker at the end of my stint at Wells Fargo, and I was managing a book of high net worth individuals and business owners in Miami Beach, uh, that position in New Jersey, got me a lateral down to South Florida back in 2018. And then um, let's call it two and a half years ago, maybe a little bit longer, actually, looking at the calendar from today, um, I started working with the two partners who I'm with now, Cole Shepard and Adam Jason at Legacy Group, and we do alternative assets. So I'm the director of investor relations at Legacy Group. And as you mentioned in the beginning, we open up alternative investments with a focus on Latin America, for a group of high net worth individuals. So I take my took my experience that I had uh, being a, a private banker and relationship manager and really applying that at Legacy Group, but on the private investment space and really giving white glove service to our investors, being openly communicative and personal with them and really trying to understand what drives them and their needs and helping fill in those gaps with solutions that we have at Legacy Group. Um, so that's kind of from the beginning and, and how I got here. And um, definitely exciting. Love what I'm doing. Uh, I'd say it's a lot more rewarding than working in the public market space. And, and it's really just more dynamic with more, um, more growth opportunity from an investment perspective. And then also fresh and exciting. Like we're doing projects that other people don't have and can't do. Whereas at the bank, I found myself, you know, same fun that we offer 
another bank could sell it to you, or you can even buy it your own without the help of a financial advisor. So there's some really big differences between public and private, but that's how I got here. And I'm definitely grateful for uh, the beginning steps in my career and really built a strong foundation for me. And it allows me to be more successful at my current role at Legacy Group. Oh, great. So all the years of really being, and I would, I would consider kind of like traditional wealth management, and, you know, what do you think with alternative managers? I imagine you had clients that were in both, right? That you were handling them in the public and they had not through Wells Fargo, but they had their own private investments. So why do you think alternative investments are becoming more popular with uh, high net worth in investors? And why do you think it's important for them to have that in their portfolio? Yeah, definitely noticed that even from the beginning, um, when I was working with my high net worth clients and trying to emulate them myself as a young person at the time, of course, and trying to understand what they do and what drives their decisions and how I can apply those for myself, I noticed a lot of parallels. Almost all of my high net worth clients at the bank, they were invested in real estate. And whether they use loan products from us or or they they did it through syndications, like I just almost every single client I had invested in real estate. So that 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 opened up my mind to real assets and, and alternatives outside the bank. Obviously, at, at, the Wells, at Wells Fargo, we're not a real estate broker. And, we're, yeah. and we, we would facilitate loan products to help these investors. But, but really, we were somewhat pretty far removed from the transaction. So seeing that uh, really kind of drew, drove me towards real assets. And then besides that, they all had ownership in businesses, whether it's ones that they ran themselves on an active basis or ones that they had passive ownership in. And, and then yes, they had a, a brokerage account and a traditional portfolio for more of their liquid assets, but almost every single high net worth individual, unless they were just like a high income earner, such as a physician, I mean, they, they owned real estate and they owned businesses. So that kind of drove me towards it and, and had me start to see the value in, in the alternative space. Um, and then I guess to your point on why it's important and why people are looking for it, people want uncorrelated returns that do not uh, move with the market. Like when you have the Fed chairman speak or, or, or some other political figure, markets move rapidly and, you know, you wake up and, and, and kind of like stomaching the volatility is too much for certain people in certain, mm. at certain points, right? Especially in the market that we're in now with like a tremendous amount of volatility. So our investors now that are investing with us, you know, they own those same things that I mentioned, right? They have stocks in their portfolio. They have bonds. Um, they're heavily U.S. focused. So it's all domestic, really. Um, they own real estate still. So they own homes. They own investment properties. They have, syndic they have equity and syndications. But they invest with us because they're looking for exposure outside of the U.S. into other markets that they couldn't access agriculture is a great hedge against inflation. At the time of this recording, we're clocking close to 8% inflation on an annualized basis. So people are trying to, obviously dollars are a safe haven, but they want alternatives to that that are not going to get eroded by inflation. They're all loaded up on real estate. Everyone's made a killing over the last 10 years since the financial crisis. So people are looking to fill in gaps in their portfolio. And um, I think that's what really makes what we're doing so exciting. And then, of course, I mean, from a return perspective, we're forecasting higher returns than people could achieve in the public markets. So that's another important one there. So it's a combination of returns, diversification, markets. And I think those are the main drivers of investment today in with Legacy Group and our portfolio companies. 
So Josh, you kind of take alternative investments for most U.S. investors to another level because you're adding in investing outside of the United States. And I, you know, as I understand in my research, you guys really focus on Latin America. And I saw a lot of different offerings that you've closed and ones that you're offering uh, currently uh, through companies and projects in Latin America. So why is it important? I mean, how is it why is it important and you know for people looking to get that diversification outside of the US where they might be a little comfortable after like you said the last 10 years of investing here in alternative assets mainly say real estate you did really well if you're invested over the last 10 years yeah so people are looking for other markets because you know not every country performs the same not every market performs the same just like asset classes move differently so do different geographies so while what goes up comes down is kind of the theory for our investors and not that they're selling out of their real estate by any means i mean i'm i'm certainly not right like i i hold assets here in the states as i think you should but there's an argument for having a portion of your portfolio into another market that's not correlated with the market mm -hmm. here because when you even see it in in crypto and bond yields, in, in the equity markets, like everything's moving in tandem these days, even assets that are supposed to move opposite to one another, such as yeah. stocks and bonds. So um, I, I'm, I'm not saying that we're going to see a collapse in the US or that people shouldn't be invested in the US, but it's just important to have exposure to emerging markets or, or other markets. When you think of emerging markets, you typically would think of maybe Asia, parts of undeveloped Europe, you don't usually think of Latin America right away, but right now with all the geo with all the political instability and kind of macroeconomic backdrop that we're experiencing, um, some of that's with the war and some of it's with other things. Asia is not looking like a place to put <laughs> fresh money to work right now for an investor looking to get exposure to another market. And I would make the same argument for Europe or parts of developing Europe. So our investors are, they get really comfortable around Latin America, even though it seems so far and, and foreign to us, it becomes more attractive with these other these other markets kind of eroding from an investment perspective. So that's driving a lot of interest into the region. Uh, the ways in which we've made our investors more comfortable is a U.S. structure. So mm -hmm. while we're our assets are primarily in Colombia um, through um, our flagship portfolio company, Green Coffee Company, uh, we are opening that up for investors with a U.S. structure. So we issue common equity in a Delaware holding company that owns all of the farmland, all of the facilities, all the assets and the rights to its cash flow by having equity ownership here in the U.S., so it's a way that we allow our investors to get more comfortable, mm. um, you know, banking in the U.S., investing in the U.S. We have a U.S. management team at Legacy Group um, from a variety of different backgrounds. I already gave you mine, but that allows our investors to get more comfortable because they're not just investing with um, an asset manager in Colombia, a group of yeah. Colombian people and kind of shipping their, their funds away. It's a U.S.-based management team. The two partners, one was a former SEC attorney. The other is a former corporate accountant with a big four accounting firm. And you, already, you heard my background, of course. At the operational level, we obviously have Colombian people working for us, yeah. uh, both on the farms and in executive positions. So our CEO, Boris Woolner, was a 25-year veteran of Colombian agriculture before we appointed him. So we do a lot of things to make our investors more comfortable with the region, but they like it because it's not what they can access here. And we're not aware of anyone that has a similar product. So you're saying that um, farmland investing, and I've had a couple of people on the show that were talking about farmland investing, mainly in the United States. The last one I think was uh, talking about California for different crops there and whatnot. And 
what what is like in farmland how is that recession resistant i know what we have going on with the war and you hear about potential food shortages there and everything like that and the world's becoming more developed so people are re- you know requiring now more more products let's say food that uh, that they probably wouldn't have before more people eating meat and all that stuff trickles down the whole way in the world how does that how is it recession resistant i mean like when you're when you're talking about that in farmland in general just let's say if it's in california or in colombia Food is a necessity. That's really kind of what it boils down to. I mean, certain products people can do without. I don't believe coffee is one of them. It's one that's growing uh, globally from a consumption perspective. Um, And and that's in up or down markets. You you might change the way in which you consume your coffee. So let's say you're you're out of a job or, or something goes poorly with, with one of your projects, you probably, I don't know if you drink coffee, but do yes. you? Okay. Yes, so all you, time. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you go to Starbucks now yeah. and, and you're buying a specialty coffee that's being made for you by a barista and that's the way you consume it, right? Mm-hmm. Things get hard. You, you might not go to Starbucks anymore and buy your coffee, but you probably make it at home or, mm-hmm. or you might buy it in another manner. So the way in which people consume it, let's say everything shut down with COVID, uh, you know, that was previously, right? But you're not going to the coffee shop then, but you're ordering coffee from Amazon or what, or whatever source that you're, you're going to, yeah. to in order to consume it. And, um, you know, there's more than 2 billion cups of coffee consumed per day globally, and that number is growing. So, and then all these supply chain issues, weather patterns in Brazil and other parts of the world have, pu- have pushed up coffee commodity prices. So when they say it's a hedge against inflation or, or it works even in a recession, it's because people are still going to consume it. And as um, transportation costs become more expensive, as land comes more expensive, the commodity itself does. So as an owner of the farmland, you stand to benefit with inflationary pressures. Because all this, imagine you own an apartment building, rents all of a sudden are going up 20% year over year, you just made 20% more money owning the same assets. Same thing applies if you're owning farmland that produces a resource. If that resource becomes more expensive in time, owning it, owning the land, the land becomes more expensive and so on. I know I answered that question in several directions, but it's kind of my general thoughts there. Um, so in a downturn, long story short, people will still eat and consume, consume agricultural products. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I think it's also similar with alcohol too. When you're going through a recession, they might just, how they consume it would be a little different. Um, but now when let's just talk like high level, can you give us like an overview for people that have never heard about investing in coffee, um, how the process works? Um, you know, is there a waiting period? How do distributions work? Can you give us like a high level overview of coffee investing and specifically how you guys do it? Yeah. So there's a couple of different people that, that offer agriculture investments as well, but they package them in very different ways than you'll find our structure. So we have a holding company structure where you would own shares in a parent company that owns all the land, all the trees. As of this recording, we have almost seven thousand acres of land controlled owned um, by green coffee company subsidiaries and seven million coffee trees and growing so as a shareholder in green coffee company you would be you would own a slice of this entire pie so you would own a portion of the facilities you would own rights to future profits and you wouldn't own a, a small sliver of it right so it's it's like a early stage private company investment and we have a goal of continuing to roll up assets 
build out this, continue to build out the, the coffee side of the business. And we're also working on byproducts. So a roasting channel, a uh, byproduct channel where we can work to build out an alcohol product. We're modeling that out in our Series C presentation. So an investor with us would be owning shares in a holding company that is essentially a conglomerate in the in the coffee space or, or a growing one. And it's currently the largest coffee producer in Colombia. So you would mm -hmm. be a shareholder in this particular company. Taking a step back and comparing that to other products that I've seen in the agricultural space, you, you would be offered a plot of land, for example, where you own one acre of yeah. uh, orange trees or, or whatever it is. And then based on, or coffee trees, let's just compare it to yeah. coffee. And then based on the production in that year, and fees from whoever's managing it, you would get cash flows each year for what's produced on your particular parcel. Our structure is totally different than that. Depending on the harvest in one year, it doesn't really matter to an investor in, I mean, it does in the short term, but if you own a slice of an entire enterprise that's growing, that the evaluation continues to increase, and we have a goal of selling the company in this nice packaged U.S. structure, or more preferably going public in the U.S. markets, it's an early stage company investment as opposed to a real agriculture investment, so to speak. Obviously, that's the backdrop, but the structure that we have, we believe is far superior from what you might find in the space in terms of investment offerings in agriculture, because no one's doing it this way. So yeah. in terms of like timing and period, Coffee does take several years to mature. The coffee trees that we currently have, some are, many are already bearing fruit. Coffee actually grows in a fruit or in a cherry form. And on the, in, on the inside of that cherry is the coffee bean. But there's a process in order to remove the skin. We do that in our world-class processing facility that we have in Salgar. That's the town where we operate. We have two, two facilities where they're essentially identical. And uh, we process the cherry down to what's called parchment or it's unroasted coffee. So it looks like a coffee bean, but it's a very light brown. And it, there still needs to be another process. It needs to be roasted. It actually needs to go through a, a dry mill after this wet mill, and then it's roasted. Um, so we, we're at the very beginning of the chain where we take the cherry down to the raw product and, and green coffee. And then we're selling it in a wholesale manner at that point. So we're selling containers of wholesale B2B green coffee to end traders and buyers who are then turning it off and selling it and, and then roasting it themselves. Like so, so that's handled at the back end. As we go through this next funding round, which we're launching um, here in Q3 2022, as the time of this recording, we're going to be launching it in September. Uh, we are going to continue to build out that green coffee business, but we also have two other pillars we want to focus on. One being the roasted channel. So we're diligencing a location in the U.S., preferably mm -hmm. in the southern states, looking at Florida and Texas right now. So we could actually not just have a holding company presence, but operational presence here as well on the roasted side. So we can go further down the value chain and not just sell it at a green coffee stage, but bring it through our own U.S.-based US roasting channel and make more margin. And then separately from that is the byproducts business. So that cherry that I mentioned on the outside of, of the fruit, it's it's waste right now. So you use the bean on the inside, but we have a tremendous amount of waste that's produced through, um, through this coffee byproduct. And we're looking at ways to monetize that. So we're planning to build an alcohol distilling facility so we can make ethanol, vodka, rum, um, a consumable liquor product out of what is now waste and both on another vertical for our investors. So you can kind of see that this isn't like buy a plot of land, plant yeah. trees, get cash flow. It's buy shares in a company that 
is the largest coffee producer in Colombia that's building out multiple verticals that's trying to um, carve a path towards a profitable exit. And we're currently targeting 2026 right now for our investors. Yeah, no, that's very, very interesting because usually, like you said, traditionally you would hear, you know, buy a plot of, you know, I don't, you know, buy a hectare or whatever it is I'm doing down there. And then I'm, you know, having someone run in and stuff like this. And with this scenario, number one, I see it's less volatile because now I'm getting into 7,000 acres. So now anything I have coming off it. Number two is it's almost like an angel investment, or I guess you would say venture capital, not early stage, but it's something where there could be a tremendous back end on it as well if everything goes uh, as planned. So that's very, very interesting how that's done. Yeah, thanks, Charles. Yeah, we, we would like to, it's definitely a private equity style investment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the returns that we're forecasting, we, we believe they could even be conservative, but we're forecasting 8x net returns. So an 8x net equity multiple for our investors through 2026. Um, and, you know, it could it could be sooner than that. It could be a, a better return. I mean, it's obviously based yeah. on a set of yeah. assumptions and comparable companies that have executed transactions in the market. But um, it's we, we think it's a really exciting opportunity. And, and even being the largest producer in Colombia today, we think we're just getting started. With your, I have one question because you have a lot of these countries and I've, I've heard from other people that invest in developing countries and they would say that um, as that country becomes wealthier and Colombia definitely has become wealthier over the last decades and this is helping them, which is great for the people, but it's also that um, for, do you see that with labor going up in cost in the sense that it doesn't make sense anymore or does it have to go very high for it to be you know what I mean? To make, to change returns or anything like that. Does that make sense? So do you, do you mean like if labor continues to rise the cost, then would that make the returns the same as? Right. What I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. So what I'm saying is that you have it when you're in developing countries, you know, like say you're making t-shirts and you go to one cheap country, then you go to another cheap country, another one. And as they get wealthier, you're moving your production. You know what I'm saying? So I'm saying this, obviously you can't move, you know, trees and whatnot, but I'm saying is that, is there as, Colombia, as Latin America gets wealthier with more money coming down there, expats, investors like yourself and your company going down there, do you see that labor costs, let's say, are increasing faster than what we'd see like regular inflation here? And that's, you know, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. is that how that's going to affect, say, eight years down the road? You know, obviously, this is not happening this weekend. You know what I mean? Like, you know, eight years down the road is what we're talking about for a time horizon or six years, what you were saying, but. Yeah, so we, we don't see labor costs rising at a rate faster than you're seeing in the U.S. So okay. inflation is not going through the roof by any means. Now, while the com- the country we believe is doing well economically, we don't see the cost to pay employees getting even close to what you would have to pay someone in a developed country like the mm-hmm. U.S. And even if it did at that point adjust it for inflation, the U.S. would be, would yeah, be of course. higher. Um, and, and then there's other things. It's not just the labor because we're not, I know your t-shirt example was just an example, but the product itself is grown there. So yeah. we can't, the climate here in the U.S. does not allow coffee, special, at least co- specialty coffee to, yeah. to be grown in, uh, in, in the manner. And um, so I, I don't think that in the next eight years or six years, whatever yeah. the example was, that that it would become less attractive. If as, if it did, if foreign investment continues to flow into the region, which we are seeing a lot of it, I would say assets would become more expensive. So the land that mm-hmm. the land would become more expensive, the labor would probably become more expensive as well. But as an owner of 
6,000 yeah. something acres, you know, if more foreign investment comes into the region and then prices are going through the roof, I'd say that's a good thing for, for someone who's early. Because we believe we're pretty early. We that we were early on in, in the boom, at least in the country there. That, yeah, it'd that be great for you, you guys. It'd be great for your investors. And then definitely great for the people on the ground there in Colombia that you're helping yeah. with uh, adding jobs and building some wealth for themselves that's consistent. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. So let's talk about... Um, just as we're kind of uh, closing up here, and you've been involved in all different types of alternative assets and traditional investments, and um, kind of questions we ask every guest. And number one would be like, what kind of common mistakes do you see, uh, let's say, real estate investors slash agriculture investors make? Well, I guess if we're talking about real estate, or I guess we're talking about passive investing here, I mean, for the purpose of this show, um, I would encourage people to diligence the asset manager and their track record and really get to understand the team and, and those who are behind the projects. I've heard some other inv investors with our of ours who have said, wow, you guys are so communicative. This is not this is way better than fill in the blank experience. So, you know, I would really kind of vet who you're investing with if you're a passive limited partner. I mean, a lot of this stuff is done over the internet, hearing people on podcasts, seeing presentations. So, you know, if there's a newsletter, subscribe to it, make sure you get comfortable, uh, ask the right questions and, and make sure that the management team ha is capable of, of executing on its vision because all private investing is based on a set of assumptions, whether it's a piece parcel of real estate or an operating business. If it's real estate, you say, okay, we're going to buy it for this much. We're going to do value add. This is how much we're going to spend. This is what we expect to be the back end. But if the team is not capable of executing on that business plan, then so much for your business plan. So I think step one would be to, to really um, do your due diligence on, on the team. And of course, thoroughly review the offering materials, the investor presentations. Those are really important things. Um, for more active investors, um, I would say people who are doing this on their own and not through um, professionals and, and trying to be passive, um, misjudging costs <laughs> and mis making assumptions that are incorrect, like, oh, the mortgage is this much and my cash flow is $200 a month. My, I'll make $200 a month. Okay, well, what about repairs, CapEx, reserves, vacancy, you know? really underwriting the right way if you're doing it yourself. I, I think that that's important. And then those are the main things, I would say. Yeah, no, like great ones. Uh, the last one's great because that's uh, definitely people don't add in all their, they think it's gonna be rented the whole time and never have vacancy. Um, so Josh, what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success over the years? Yeah, I mean, solid education, hunger to learn more, surrounding myself with intelligent people um, who help lift me up seeking out uh, knowledge and mentors when you can and then you know always striving to do better and asking questions and being humble i mean th those are all things that i think contributed to my success and then how can our listeners learn more about you and your business yes please uh, find us on our website at legacy-group.co and you can contact us investor.relations at legacy-group.co. And I would love to hear from you and speak to any of your listeners about their individual needs, their investment strategies, and tell them more about what we do at Legacy Group and the Green Coffee Company. All right. Well, thanks, Josh, for coming on and looking forward to connecting with you here in the near future. Yeah. Thanks, Charles. This was great. You have a great day. You too. Talk to you soon. 
Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.